And the whole crowd goes, oh. They just want clarification. They just want to understand. But the reality is, is that sometimes we stop asking questions because we're pretty sure people don't want to hear what we have to say. This is the first time in a passage as we continue our study in beginnings that God speaks to Abraham, but Abraham speaks back. And I got to tell you that when I was studying this passage at the beginning of the week and I was writing down ideas, I wrote down the idea that David, that Abraham doubted what God was saying. But when I was reading and thinking about it, and as I read some people's opinions about it, they said that oftentimes we get this one wrong and we think that Abraham is doubting in this passage, and he's not. He just wants some clarification. He just wants to understand. Because occasionally God will say something or decide something and from the size of a brain that we have that is much smaller than the size of the brain that God has, it just doesn't make any sense. What God seems to be saying is impossible or hard to fathom or maybe doesn't apply to our situation. Have you ever felt that way? You hear people and they say, and God said this, and you, and you immediately in your mind going, and that does not apply to my situation. God has made promises to Abram. He started in chapter 12. He made a promise to him. He, uh, he repeated part of the promise later on in chapter 12. He, he talked about it again, I think, in chapter 13. Here we now, we're in chapter 15. And God begins one more time by affirming his promise. He says this in chapter 15, if you want to read along with me here or in your own Bible, we're going to be reading in chapter 15 and taking a look at what God says. God affirms his promises. Now, this is an interesting passage. Some people try to tie it to the last passage where Abram was this warrior and this victor, but some people think that maybe we've gotten the language a little wrong there, but here's what he said. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. The word of the Lord came. Isn't that cool? I love that phrase. Do you ever wish the word of the Lord would come to you? I do. And occasionally it does. I'll be walking through my day, and all of a sudden, a passage of Scripture will all of a sudden pop into my mind. A word of the Lord comes. Well, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And this is what he said. Fear not, I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. Now, some people translate that word shield and other people translate that word benefactor. Okay? In other words, I am the one that's going to do great things for you. Because I am in charge, you're going to receive incredible things. I am your benefactor. Your reward will be very great. Now this is interesting because all of a sudden, during this passage, all of a sudden it's like Abram raises his hand and says to God, I need clarification. And he inquires of the Lord. This is the first time that instead of God just speaking and Abram going, let's do it. Abram asks some questions. 
So we see that in verse 2. In verse 2 it says, But Abram said, O Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. He's saying, how will this work? Okay, I just went on this battle and there was great reward there. I have all this stuff. You have definitely blessed me. I have more camels than I can count. There are a lot of servants in my household. I've got a lot of sheep. Things are going really well. But here's the reality. You have blessed me beyond what I can imagine. You've rewarded me. But who's going to get this stuff? How are you going to do this? Are you just blessing me so I get to randomly bless some servant in my household? Is that why you're doing this? Because you talk about this blessing and you talk about me being a great nation, but there's one thing missing. There's something missing, Lord. Where's the kid? Where's the son? I am in my 90s now. Where's this child? Sarah's not having kids. The servants are having kids. The camels are having kids. The sheep are having kids. I'm not having kids. And so he asks for clarification, saying, Okay, God, I know what you've said, and I know that I am blessed by you, and I know I'm even kind of in the spot that you want to bless. And you say you're going to make me a great nation. But right now, I'm thinking I'm going to end up like the Shakers. Have you ever heard of the Shakers? They make really cool furniture, but they decided that a part of their faith was that they wouldn't marry. Are there any Shakers anymore? Nope. No legacy. No legacy. And that's where Abram is sitting. Abram is sitting with no legacy. So he goes on to the next version. Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. He isn't doubting what God's doing. He's just saying, I, I don't know how this works. How does this work, God? I think that sometimes we are just so willing when God says something to say, I don't get it, and then just not do anything about it. I, I think there are students that are like that, aren't there? Some of you are teachers. There are some kids that aren't willing to say, I don't understand what's going on. And the reason they're not learning is because they're not asking for clarification. Men, we struggle with this, don't we? Because if there's a picture of the item that we're supposed to assemble, that should be enough information, right? But Ikea understands that that is not enough. And so they give you this booklet that does not give you enough clarification either to try to put something together. I think all of us in life are looking for just a little clarification. And I think it's okay to go, God. It's not doubt to go, God, and say, how are you going to do this, God? How does this work? If one of our children came up to us and we said, I want you to mow the lawn. And they asked us, how does the mower work? Just figure it out. Go watch a video. There's a picture next to the mower. That should be enough for you. We understand that a big part of parenting is clarification, right? Are they doubting that they can mow the lawn? No. They just want to know how it works. 
That's what Abram is saying. God responds to Abram and says this. And behold, the word of the Lord, there it is again. The word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son will be your heir. And he, will be, and he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heavens. Number the stars. You are able to number them. Then he said, So shall your offspring be. Okay? I think Abram's still sitting going a little bit, okay, how is this going to work? But this next verse is a beautiful verse in Scripture. It says, And he, Abram, believed the Lord and was counted to him as righteousness. You know, before we meet Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, when we explain the gospel to people that don't know Jesus yet, and we explain to them that Jesus Christ died on the cross so that every wrong thing that they ever did would be forgiven. Sometimes people want more clarification and they go, how can this be? And so you have to give them more information. And the best information we give them isn't our own ideas, is it? it says, we say, the word of the Lord says, right? The Bible says. But you know that the moment you came to faith, this is what took place. But all to have received him who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You see, in the same way, Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. The moment you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, it's counted to you as righteousness. Because at that moment, God forgives all of your sin and you are in right standing for God. Because God no longer looks at you and just sees you. God looks at you through His Son and sees His righteousness in you. See, there's nothing wrong with wanting to get some clarification. But I think that sometimes we think that when we're just trying to understand how things work, we think sometimes it's doubt, just like I thought Abram was doubting. He wasn't doubting. He just wanted to understand how it worked. And occasionally that happens in every one of our relationships. Somebody is asking for clarification, and sometimes we're tired. And we don't want to give any clarification, and we immediately assume that the other person doesn't trust us. It's not that they don't trust us. They just want to understand that's a part of every relationship. And that needs to be a part of your relationship with the Lord. Your relationship with the Lord should involve a lot of dialogue because occasionally God likes to do something called this. He says, all things are possible through me, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then we need to raise our hand and go, how does this work? I'm not sure I understand it. God, I'm going through this situation and I know that I can trust in you and you promise to give wisdom, but right now I'm asking the question, how does this work? How, how can I do this thing? And, and we need to know that when we do that, that asking for clarification isn't doubt. That's a part of a, a real relationship with God. So God goes on and he speaks again. And he said, and he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you 
from Ur out of the Chaldeans to this place to possess. So here he is. Abram is in this place. Now, if he starts going up to the Canaanites and going, hey, um, God says I get this land, so you're going to have to move. How do you think that's going to go? Think that's going to go well? No, right now, Abram lives there, and Abram is considered a foreigner. You know, he's not local, okay? So it's just like he's moved in there, and, and all the Canaanites are going, you're not local, and you certainly aren't native, you know? Because your, your father's father wasn't born here. And so he's in this situation where he's not feeling local, and he's done this amazing thing. Think about what Abram did. He basically left his nationality and the country that was his home because God was going to turn him into a nationality and turn him into a country. But right now, he's in this place that's supposed to be eventually his country, and he's just an alien there. Abram needs some clarification. And that's what we see. But he said, oh Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? How how am I to know that that's really what you're... You've made this promise to me, but how am I to know that I will possess this land? How, How am I to know that? God said something very interesting at this point. He said, bring me a heifer three years old and a female goat three years old and a ram three years old and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Now, this doesn't sound like a very good answer, doesn't it? This sounds like a riddle, you know, like, you know. Uh, But the reality, what God was saying is, I want to take my promise to you and turn it into a legal contract with you. Okay. Now, I'm glad we don't have to do this anymore. When we went to the bank and bought the house, I'm really glad that they didn't say, bring a three-year-old cow and a three-year-old goat. You know, I'm glad that they didn't say that. But during this period of time, the way that you signed a contract and that it meant something, this would be like the handshake of that era for a very serious and strong contract is that you would take these animals. And so he knew exactly what God was asking because in the next verse it says that he did with that. And he brought all these and he cut them in half and laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. Okay, This is a covenant in Scripture. It's called a cutting covenant. And he knew exactly what God was asking him to do. Basically what they were asking And what they would do is they would cut these animals in half, and then the two people going into the contract together would walk in between each of these animals to to signify that they were making a covenant and that the covenant was so great that if they broke the covenant, what had happened to those animals should happen to them. Now, this is hard to understand because we live in a society right now that knows how to break contracts, don't we? You know? Everything's kind of a lease. Everything's somewhat temporary. And there's always trying to figure out a way to get out of it. The, the world that some of our parents came from, or maybe we even lived in at times, 
When I lived in Indiana, we lived on a handshake. I did most everything on a handshake. And that was the covenant. I'm going to do what you said. And occasionally you'd, you'd be talking to someone, they'd be really frustrated with a, another person. They'd say, well, I don't know why this is happening because we shook on it. We made that contract together. But we've come into a society now where words don't matter as much. Contracts don't matter as much. Our, our promises don't matter as much. And God wanted him to know how seriously he was taking this. Think about this. The God of heaven was saying, if I do not keep my promise, I will be destroyed. Wow. That's pretty amazing. That he was what he was saying. So he, he, made, he did what the Lord asked him, and, and then something happened. And when the birds of the prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. You know, whenever we're in the midst of making a promise or listening to one of the promises of God, there's another voice in our head. And it's a bird of prey, and it's trying to steal that promise. That's why occasionally you'll sit in church and somebody will give testimony to something amazing that's happened in their life. And the first thing that will come into your mind is, that will never happen to me. I sure wish God worked that way in my life. Man, it must be cool that God answers their prayer because he isn't answering my prayer. And at that moment, there's like a bird of prey and he's trying to steal the promises of God's faithfulness and his love and his care and his concern and his specialized care for each one of us. And it's trying to say, you're somehow outside that circle. Other people receive God's favor. You are just standing a little bit outside of that. And it tries to steal that. And, and that's what was happening here, is these birds of prey were trying to mess with the contract. And, and, and Abram had to fight and shoo them away. In fact, it was so much work that it says that this is what happened to Abram. It says, and the sun was going down and a deep sleep fell at Abraham. Sometimes when we're in the middle of the fight, the best thing that can happen to us is we take a nap. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Now it's interesting in the Old Testament that oftentimes when they speak about being in the presence of God, it's not always a joyful thing. Sometimes it's described as a frightful thing. Remember when the Israelites decided they didn't want to be in the presence of God anymore and they let Moses do it for them? Because it was frightful to them. And so we know that he's in the special presence of the Lord. And then God speaks. Then God said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. When will I possess the land? Well, it's going to be at least 400 years. Do you know what's really interesting? This describes the rest of the book of Genesis. This is the reality of what happens through the rest of Genesis. The exodus takes place 430 years from this time. Isn't that fascinating? He goes on and says more. In verse 14 he says, 
I will bring judgment on the nations that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Does that not sound like the Exodus? You know, God judged Pharaoh with how many plagues was it? Ten? That made fun of every single God that he had. And by the time that the Israelites left, the, the, the Egyptians gave them the wealth of Egypt and God financed a whole nation in one day. <laughs> Verse 15. As for yourself, you will go to your fathers in peace and you shall be buried at a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. In the New Testament, it says something really interesting. It says that God is not willing that is patient, and he's willing that not anyone should perish, right? And so sometimes God takes, makes things take longer in our lives because that's better for the lives of those around us. The Israelites are going to come back to this later, and they should cling to it because they should realize that a part of living out the promises that God makes to each one of us is waiting. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, right? I waited patiently for the Lord. I don't know what's going on in your life. And I'm sorry if that's true of your life right now. But sometimes the promises include some waiting. But that doesn't mean you can't go to the Lord and say, God, I was wondering, how does this work? How will I know? One day, when I was in my 30s, Nancy came to me and she says, I've been reading this verse in the life of David, and I believe this is a promise for you. And we prayed about it, and we really sensed that it was a promise for me. I can remember the day I left the youth room after being a youth pastor for over 20 years. And I said, God, I am so sorry. Because I don't think I ever lived the promise. What did I do wrong? And God lovingly said to me, I never said the promise would take place in the youth room. That's what you decided. And I stand in front of you today. Two or three weeks ago, God said, remember the promise? Yeah, God, and... This is kind of how I see it working out. And he says, no, I'm, I'm usually pretty literal in what I say. And I, I meant what I said. I said, well, maybe it's just not going to happen. And then he looked at me and he said this. What are you doing to prepare for the promise? And I said, well, I just kind of decided that I was on the outside of the little line. <laughs> Jim, you need to prepare for the promise. You don't know when I'm going to give it. But you need to act like I'm going to give it instead of decide that I am disqualified from giving the promise. I don't know what promises God is making to you right now. 
But I know that we have to wait on them. And in the waiting, we can't decide that somehow we're disqualified or God has changed his mind. Because the word makes it clear that God does not change his mind. In my early years, I got it wrong because I connected the dots and decided what the promise looked like. In my years lately, I've been saying, well, maybe it's a cumulative thing. Over time, you're going to do this thing, and then I can go up and count back, and you did this thing. No, I'm going to do this thing. What are you doing to prepare for this thing? And I have to decide today that I am still going to live out the promise of my life. Because I don't know why I'm waiting. But I know that waiting is a part of it. When the sun had gone back down, it was dark and behold, a a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed through the pieces. This is really interesting because usually a contract is between how many people? Two. But in Scripture, we find this picture of God who is what? A consuming fire, right? How did he lead the nation of Israel? As a pillar of fire, right? And so what is happening at this moment is incredibly fascinating because Abram is asleep and dreaming. And who goes through with the contract. God walks the contract alone. Now, I think this is really interesting because what God basically is saying at this moment is, I promise to keep my promises to you and it doesn't depend on you at all because you're asleep. I put you to sleep. You're having this vision, but you're not walking literally through like I am at this moment. I am doing something very fascinating. I am creating not a normal contract with you, not a normal promise with you. This is an unconditional promise. I promise that I'm going to do this even if you don't do your part. I'm going to do this. And this is a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us, isn't it? That is the ultimate cutting contract. He basically said, I don't know whether or not you're going to accept me, but I'm going to die for your sins anyway. This is an unconditional covenant. If you come to me, I will forgive all of your sins. But I'm going to the cross alone for you. I'm not asking you to do something to receive the cross. And that's the part that people struggle with. Because people are used to a contract that involves two people. And so usually when people say, tell me about the cross, and you say, and all I have to do is believe because God already did everything for me, and then they, what do they say next? Well, what do I have to do? Nothing. You just have to believe that God did something for you so that you could have a relationship with him. And it isn't based on something you do. It's based on what he did. The new covenant is like the Abrahamic covenant in this respect. It is not dependent on us. It is dependent on God. In fact, the reality is that the book of Corinthians teaches us that some of us will do nothing in reflection of the great thing that God did for us, but we will not lose our salvation even though we have not lived a life of obedience to the Lord. It describes us as a people 
that are tested by fire and come through the fire, but all that is left is smoke. Because why? Because God keeps his promise disregarding how we behave. How many days have you lived a disobedience to God and still have your salvation because he died for all of your sins and it has nothing to do with you and everything to do with him because in the same way he made that promise to Abraham that says, I'm going to keep this promise, I'm going to make this, I'm going to turn my promise into a covenant with you. The New Testament promise of the, of the cross is not a promise. It's a covenant that God made with us. But instead of sacrificing animals on our behalf to make the promise, he cut his son. His son became the sacrifice. So the father could keep his word. Jesus Christ understood that. He said, Jesus, Father, if there be any way, remove this cup from me. He understood that he was going to be the sacrifice for the covenant. That's what it says here in Hebrews. And by, the, and by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So the, the covenant made with Abraham becomes a whisper of the great covenant that God made for every single one of us. Hallelujah. Praise be the Lamb. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying, to your offspring I give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Knizzesites, the Mosquito Bites, the Kittimanites, the Hittites, the Pizzerites, the Raphraim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. And you know what? This promise is still active today. And if you take a look at the picture of what Israel is, the little tiny postage stamp smaller than Delaware, this is a lot more land than that. This cutting covenant of God, this unconditional covenant of God, will someday be fulfilled It's the reason I'm a Zionist and I stand with Israel. <laughs> because God's promise in Genesis 15, the covenant of Genesis 15 is active today. So, there's some lessons for us, okay? A couple lessons in here, wouldn't you think? Number one, we must seek the word of the Lord, okay? 
I, I, I have times where the Lord audibly speaks to me. But I have a lot more times that God speaks to me as I open up his word. And oftentimes, the best things he says to me when I'm lacking wisdom is, he quotes back to me scripture that we have shared together. And so we need to seek the word of the Lord. Okay? His word is living, active, and we need to seek it. Number two, we must question without doubting. We need to ask hows instead of will yous. Okay? Will yous are doubting. Will you really do that, God? But if we believe that he will do it, there's no reason why we shouldn't ask for clarification. He doesn't always feel the need to give it to us, but that doesn't mean it's wrong to ask. I think that we should be carrying on a dialogue with the Lord. Uh, Have you ever noticed that there should be an honesty in this relationship? He knows what you're thinking, but he loves for you to say it to him. I have no idea how you're going to do this, God. How are you going to do this? How are you going to make this happen? What is this going to look like? You promised this. How is this going to happen? How are you going to do this? Three, we must understand our covenant in Christ's sacrifice. We're coming up to Easter. And I think it's always good as you're coming up to Easter to spend a little extra time and figure out what does the cross really mean? I want to be reminded of that. What does it really mean that you rose from the dead? What do these things really mean? Have, have I just taken a meaning and I, I've missed something? We, we need to understand more deeply every day <coughs> this covenant that we have with the Lord. I have a set of, comment of, of books that I really like. They're called um, Theology Books. And my favorite is by a guy named John Piper. In the next two or three weeks, as I am preparing for Easter, I will once again read everything that he says about the atonement for us. I don't want to miss out on some detail, but I want to fully understand it. And we need to delight in the reality that God likes to make promises that appear impossible to us. We need to delight in that. The Bible is full of them. This is a crazy promise. God makes a nation out of two senior citizens. I mean, it's, it's an amazing process that we're talking about here. You know, that's what he did. He made a great nation out of two senior citizens that were dislocated from their homes. <laughs> and they were living in a tent. Isn't that, that's amazing. And we look at it now like it's no big deal, but that's a big deal. We need to go to him and say, I have no idea what you're doing, God. And you seem to be promising this. I can hardly, I have to wait. I'm going to ask for peace in the waiting, God. But what can you alone do? So, (coughs) think about your life right now. Which one of these things is God whispering to you today that are his message to you in the midst of the life of Abraham?
Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the real people in it. I'm glad that Abram was inquisitive. That he was very human. He was trying to understand that you were asking of him and promising him. And I pray that we would be like him in that. God, I don't know what your promises are that you're promising to people in this room. But I, knew, I do know the covenant that you've made with each one of us. And I pray right now for the people that maybe haven't come to the place that they've accepted you as their personal Savior. God, would they trust in the sacrifice of your Son today? Would they humble themselves and call themselves a sinner and ask you to be their Savior? For the rest of us, God. What are you whispering us today? How have we decided that the promise is obsolete somehow in our lives? How have we asked the why questions instead of the how-to questions? Lord, what is your whisper to each one of us today? God, help us to surrender to that. To not let the questions stand in the way of our relationship with you. And to completely accept your unconditional covenants to each of us. I pray this in your name. Amen. Charlie's going to lead us in the last song. I'm going to ask the prayer counselors to come forward. If God is prompting you somehow as we're singing now or has been prompting you, I encourage you to come and pray with one of us. Let's be people that learn to wait on our mighty God. Let's stand together.